0: Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I am here with my co-host, Elizabeth Shavy. Elizabeth, we have another special guest with us this week.
1: Woo. Michael, introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Devine. I'm the director of music ministries here at Northside. We had one of your... We had your associate minister director in last week, Joshua. he he shared some interesting stories with you all. I I listened to the episode. (laughs) He told told us a little bit about how you guys met and uh, your experience at Wheaton. The Um, only accurate thing that he shared is that I definitely could only handle one year of organ lessons. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give you the chance to rebut anything that he said. Uh, Michael, thank you for being with us
0: this morning. Absolutely. Good to be here. Um, We are here to talk about uh, love divine, all love excelling. Uh, the There's hymn. no family connection. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, uh, but let's start with a little bit about um who you are, what you do here at Northside Church, and how you got into the ministry of music the way that you are right now. Well, yeah. hey, first
2: of all, he's gotten all of us spelling the word "divine" improperly. Yeah. At least <laughs> I do now. So, <laughs>
0: actually, um, my, my autocorrect corrected my yeah. name.
1: Uh huh. Well, yeah, I direct the adult choir and festival choir here and then administer the rest of the music program uh, for traditional worship here at Northside. Uh, have an amazing team that get to work with and both planning worship and executing worship and just having a... Lot of fun praising the Lord. How long have you been here now? Uh, almost seven years. Wow, yeah. So, holy yeah, number. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> number of completion. <laughs> uh, no, <Nope>, uh, <laughs> That, that won't yet. be the case. <laughs> good, good. That's good to hear. We'll have to find another holy number for that. <laughs> 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 we, just, we got 10 and 12 and 40. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. So. You've got a sanctuary
2: <laughs> restoration to oversee. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: that's been a fun. Uh, I, I'm not going to call it a project here. I'm going to call it a fun conversation so right. far. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. You, do you wanna, can you say anything about that right now as far as
0: how that process? started and yeah and what, uh, we're
1: looking at? I, I shared with the trustees about a year and a half ago just about uh, sort of the, the poor condition of our pipe organ um, which was installed speaking of years of completion it was uh, installed 40 years ago um, and just it has some long lasting problems that need to be addressed and that has sort of snowballed into wider conversation about the uh, accessibility usability acoustical nature of our sanctuary yeah. um how it can be used for, for the next generation next, next legacy here at northside for worship um the trustees commissioned a sanctuary restoration team a, a committee to continue that conversation we're working with a few different consultants uh in on the side Joshua and I have been traveling the country actually uh seeing churches that have gone through this process um seeing pipe organ installations uh, seeing what could fit well for us here at Northside. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Cool. What yeah. is
2: the typical lifespan of a pipe organ?
1: Uh, oh, boy, that's a tricky question. Uh, I was installed 40 years ago. There's some, <laughs> there's some issues that I need to address as well. So. <laughs> Rather than saying what should be, I'll answer it in what we hope our next organ lasts, okay. uh, sort of looking to the future. Uh, our hope is that whatever projects we do serves the north side as a community for 80 to a 100 years. Oh, wow. So something that okay. far outlasts any of us today. Um nice. and is something that generations will look back on Except and say. So Glen Warren, he'll be here apparently. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> shout out to glenn
2: Still listening to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um well
0: that's fantastic. That's great. Um Now, so this the whole project started as basically just
1: as a a pipe organ. Yeah, just sort of pipe organ dream. Yeah, Ah. I mean just just looking at at the pipe organ, seeing okay, this is a problem. (laughs) Uh, How are we gonna address it? And has turned into sort of a more holistic. How do we want to worship really for the next? century here at Northside. So
2: other than a pipe organ that will outlast all of us, what (laughs) is your big, your biggest hope for that space within this project? Like what is something that is going to be like the biggest positive outcome for that space? Because I think a lot of people, they hear sanctuary restoration and you just think like, oh my gosh, they're going to rip down this like this amazing like you know stronghold of Northside, Mm. and they're going to totally like it's going to be completely different it's not going to look the same my sanctuary you know i think there can be a lot of anxiety around that conversation so what is what are some positive
1: things a lot of screens and banners right Right. yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all fear well it's um (laughs) and i think to to that point it's people's home it's people's spiritual and worship it's the place tangibly here on earth that we say this is Mm. i mean for for us as christians um uh, not, not to overly spiritualize this, but to really contend with scripture here, this is our coming to the temple to, yeah. to worship. Um, and, and then suddenly we're talking about, you know, doing any semblance of change. That, yeah. That's that's not just a, a scary conversation, it's a, but it's a serious one. Yeah. Um, I, I remember one of uh, the previous churches I served uh, to contextualize just my experience in this conversation. Uh, one of the previous churches I served had done some work to its altar area right before I arrived. i It's the only thing I ever knew and saw at the church and so I thought it looked quite beautiful. Um, still do. And there was so much controversy in the church around this mm. and people started talking about what they really thought of this altar change and they even would sort of show me pictures of what it looked like and don't I wish it used to look like that. Yeah. And, I, and I, I mean, to be very honest, again, since I was brand new, I didn't know any better. I would see photographs of the old altar and be like, Yikes. well that just looks ugly like why why would yeah. why would people be wanting that right and then a few weeks later i was at a choir member's home for dinner i was walking down a hallway in the house and i saw one photograph two photograph three photograph of her wedding mm. her daughter's wedding Aww. and her granddaughter's wedding all, all at altar all the same altar and i went yeah. oh that's why this there is controversial. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's 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 context to what does it mean to talk about people's spiritual home, to talk about their sure, temple. Yeah. yeah. Rather than talking about specific changes that I hope happen, I, I sort of am trying to think about this and lead conversation with others in more broad philosophical terms. Anything that we do here at Northside, we want to be about restoring and not renovating in part because we want to talk mm. about That's longevity. Yeah. We want to talk about maintaining what we have. One of the words I keep hearing over and over again is the warmth people feel when they walk into our sanctuary. So what does it mean to retain and restore that going into the future? 2025 is the 75th anniversary of Northside. Mm. Um, I don't know if this project will be done by then or not, (laughs) but, you know, what does it mean to talk about the The next next 75 75 years years. of Northside Church? Um, So I think about this basically in three big, broad terms for me philosophically (laughs) one we want everything we do and first priority is about enhancing what sunday morning worship looks like feels like and what the experience Mm -hmm. of the space as a worship service space is um is, is anything and everything we're doing and discussing about enhancing and improving what that means, um, what it means for Methodist worship specifically, um, how Methodists worship has changed from when our sanctuary was built, um, and how we use it today is different than when it was built. How do we yeah. wrestle with some of those questions? Uh, the next thing, uh, this is a little bit practical for me personally, but in terms of how the sanctuary is used, for the large scale music events that we do mm-hmm. for people that have come to Festival of Carols you've seen a shoehorn a lot of people up there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it it's tricky i mean we're sort of we are using every square inch yeah. just about of that area so how can we reconfigure things so that it's more usable and then the last area which also comes to me back to that whole restore mm-hmm. word uh, when across the street from us was not Sutton Middle School but Northside High School it was the arts magnet high school for atlanta public schools
0: oh wow Is that and, right? and
1: north side uh was often used as sort of their concert hall oh wow um and we it's not used in that anymore it's now a middle school yeah. uh, like there, there's all sorts of reasons why uh, understandably that relationship doesn't exist but i then kind of think back to what would it mean what does it look like for Northside to be an arts venue in and of itself yeah. oh how wonderful um, in you know on the south side of atlanta there's spidey hall at clayton state university which is sort of the, a mid-sized venue with good acoustics and a pipe organ a good stage for music on the east side of town emory university has their concert hall same thing mm-hmm. mid-sized venue with a pipe organ and the stage for music and then you come to the center or the north end or the west end of atlanta and suddenly, that space doesn't exist. Yeah. And I kind of go, what would it mean for Northside not only to have a space that's great for worship, great for doing our own large music events, but suddenly a great space for the community, the community to come yeah. and, wow. do, a great way to and do the arts. Yeah.
0: I was at a conference yesterday down at Emory talking about uh, leadership and, and things like that, and we were talking about uh, Ezra chapter 3 where folks are coming back out of exile and, and the process of rebuilding the temple and what yes. that's going to look like and how there are people who didn't go into exile and who had lived generations, now a couple generations, without having the temple, and they kind of just figured it out, and they didn't they didn't really want a temple anymore. And so they were kind of mourning this whole, or weeping and lamenting this idea of, of rebuilding the temple uh, and the whole process of like do we build it the same way it was before do we do we uh, how do we restore the the importance of temple worship and what the purpose of the temple is and then still mm-hmm. still listen to the voices of those who uh, want something new and something that's completely different I think north side is is uh, special in the way that we we can accommodate a, a a wide spectrum of worship needs or yeah. wants desires, um, but that whole idea of temple worship,
1: I think, is, is well key and piece. directly coming from Ezra and other passages of Scripture. Um, while we can't necessarily take a lot of tangible one-to-one. <laughs> passages in terms of construction of worship spaces right. out of the Old Let's Testament to today. <laughs> you know, how does the pomegranate get sewn onto the tapestry? You know, we're, we're not going to take those specific instructions. I want a recreation but of the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> and name. You know, go watch <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> I'll get top men on it. Top men. Um, I mean, it's got to exist somewhere in Nevada, right? Yeah, no, uh, right. <laughs> uh, but the, the one thing we can take from those passages of Scripture, while we may <laughs> be people to take the the exact tangible okay this is what needs to be built or sown or constructed mm-hmm. here we can't take two important words which are excellence and sacrifice yeah what god demanded mm-hmm. what he specified what the nation of israel built was exceedingly excellent it it was beyond anything that could almost be imagined in a yeah. religious ritual sense in th- in that day In addition, it took a great amount of sacrifice of and by the people to accomplish. Mm. Interestingly, in an American context or just in a Western context, generally, those are two words we really struggle with. Yeah. What does it mean to build something excellently when we are a fast food culture yeah Um, I I mean I went to Starbucks this morning got my disposable cup you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, what does it mean to give and build not just of your means but maybe beyond your means sacrificially these are two things that we struggle with and that are the consistent call of the old testament upon the people they struggled with it yeah they did (laughs) um i think on top of that too just
0: uh thinking from the western mindset you're talking about is is not just sacrifice of means which is right on but also sacrifice of of opinion Mm. (laughs) and and sacrifice of personal uh preference things like that and what does it look like to do something like this as a community Thinking yeah. about the next 75 yeah. years, not just the community that's here now, but the community that stretches into the future. Right. How, how do we think about serving them? Yeah. Yeah. That's That's really good. Man. You said you have consultants coming in. I, I I think you mentioned to me one time, just a theological consultant
1: or somebody who Sure. Understands yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Theological architecture and things like that. You talk about. Yeah. That we, got, at all? Do we have
1: two different uh, consultants that we've been working with. One uh, that we've kind of started the conversation with on uh, acoustics. Uh, She's known around the nation, if not around the world, for her work in acoustical design here in Atlanta. And actually, Joshua and I did not know this when we contacted her. But here in Atlanta, she's got some big projects, including Cobb Energy Center. Oh, Um, wow. She she did the Short Center at Emory. She's done stuff at ASO. She's doing work at Westminster Schools. Um, So she got a relationship with Atlanta. But you meet her, so kind, down Mm -hmm. to earth. And then you get talking to her about what her own musical experience is and she sings in her church choir. Yeah. Oh. So here's this, here's this renowned acoustician that understands what it means to do worship in church. Yeah. And that's been a, mm. just a fun contact point in yeah, the conversation. Uh, it, her name's Dawn Don Uh, she's with Threshold Acoustics in Chicago. In addition, we're working with a gentleman named Terry Eason out of, uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, and similarly has a very impressive, uh, resume of work ranging from helping churches think through what it means to build a new baptismal font, right. all the way to helping Episcopal and Roman Catholic diocese conceive of, and then construct a new cathedral. Wow. Um, uh, for anyone that saw any of Small the to huge. You're right, if, if anyone saw any of the funerals of George H. W. Bush or Barbara Bush uh, down in Houston, Texas during the pandemic. Uh, saint martin's episcopal was designed by this gentleman oh wow so and and then in addition he loves doing restoration projects uh sort of what we're doing here he's even done it and helped guide his own church uh, Mm -hmm. through this process of thinking through how is your space used how should it be used Um, what are the theological implications of having an altar or a communion table in this location versus that location having the choir situated how do you want the congregation interacting with the space um and he's shared a lot of information just about the construction of our church that I didn't even know. Um, our chancel is modeled after the approved 1924 Methodist Episcopal Church of the North plan. <laughs> okay. So, and that plan sort of filtered down to the South, oh, even wow. even before the merger of the denomination in the 60s. Wow. Um, but... Our so our church has roots in something, yeah. You know, and what are those roots? Why are those roots? Yeah. Uh, those are great questions to for us to discuss. It's such a fun project, yeah.
2: I, I just love the like. Well, two two things that I love about this, like the idea of telling and honoring the story mm. of what we have here, um, and you know, and as a communications person, I want to be really intentional about about doing that as we move forward through this and bringing our congregation along in this process, you know, and helping people to understand why we're doing this and what are, like you're talking about the philosophical energies behind it, because that just, it just makes it beautiful. But then the other thing too, that I really appreciate is this, this idea of uh, the excellence and these people, you know, that are dedicated to what they are doing mm. and they are um, learned in what they're doing. And they just ha- pulling all of these, um, all of this, I get I mean, excellence. That's the word, right? Pulling the excellence together for the glory of God yes. and, you know, in the arts, in everything that we do here. I mean, to direct our imagination for God's glory. I mean, what an incredible thing.
1: You know, one, uh, n- not to make a book, plug here, but uh, one book that I've shared with several members of the committee and a couple other folks along the way is a very short book by uh, Phil Riken called Art for God's Sake. Mm. And it's just, it's a a brief little primer, really, in looking actually at some of those Old Testament uh, passages Mm -hmm. even, but also just looking at art in general and saying, what does it mean to do this and be a part of doing it for God's glory? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've shared with a few folks that had, in many ways, we're talking about a very big, very expensive art project. <laughs> um, yeah. what, what does it mean to do something that not only lasts beyond us and lasts for the next generation? Those are, those are great words, don't get me wrong. Uh, that's vocabulary I wanna continue using. Mm-hmm. But what does it mean to do it for the glory of God? Yeah. Um, And and how do we frame the conversation in our thought process around that?
2: And I think the better that we get at expressing those things through excellence, the closer we draw to God. Mm -hmm. If we, you know, because like, like, you know, like you're saying, like, you know, this can get it can get touchy. Right. Because especially when it comes to something like art, there are opinions involved. Like, what is beauty? You know, what is right? What is good? You know, (laughs) what is those
0: questions for twenty five hundred years?
2: Right. You know, but if we can. And set aside our opinions and think about how the expression of these things helps helps us deepen down towards God. I mm. think it just, it becomes a holy process and yeah. not an opinionated process. It doesn't have to be a divisive process. It can be um, a community thing, like you are saying. You yep. yeah, that word absolutely.
0: earlier. I think getting back to that excellence and sacrifice is a good way to think about that. Yeah. I'll, I'll make another book plug. I have a book over there <laughs> on my shelf by Marva Dawn. Oh, love uh, her. royal waste of time which gets mm. into the same kind of um same kind of thing that you're talking about well it sounds like it's a very thoughtful and prayerfully led process it's just beginning we hope uh get blessings upon it and thank as you as people who are <laughs> committed north side we are excited to see what's going to happen all right so let's uh let's shift to uh our hymn for the week uh dr bill preached on hymn 384 from the methodist uh hymn book uh love divine all loves excelling and michael you you picked this one i assume because it had divine in the title i'm not sure but uh i'm gonna let you start by talking about why did you pick to to come on this week talk about this hymn and what do you
1: love about this hymn and did, I,
0: Bill, did Bill get the message right when he preached about
1: it? I think so. I, I I've been enjoying both last week and this week how he's gone through stanza by stanza. I know you mentioned last week, you know, 4,000 to Sing, hard to do all 18 stanzas and win one and some of them are... but, uh, but Love Divine is just a four stanza uh, hymn text. Uh, he's able to preach through all of it, and uh, I this is one of my favorite hymns, just as it is. I will admit this is not one of my favorite hymn tunes. Okay. Um, it, it it is probably the most widely published hymn tune with this hymn text, at least in the United States. Uh, it is not sung almost at all in Great Britain, and the reason I say that is when it comes to English hymns, we often sort of compare English and American resources um, in terms of hi- historical uh, value and merit. Mm-hmm. Um, as as is typical, you know, i well, not really sure, and not sure that there is any record. I've actually looked and couldn't find any. Of what tune Charles Wesley would have expected this to be sung to, okay. um, even this is about you know probably about a hundred years, hundred thirty years separation between the tune that we're singing to when Charles Wesley wrote uh-huh. this text. Um, the other two hymn tunes that are primarily sung are Welsh tunes. Not really sure when they were written. They were actually written down, actually even later than this, in the late 19th century, early 20th century. Oh, wow. okay. Um, and that's uh, the tune "Hifridol," which is what we sing. Um, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, for those that know that Christmas tune. Mm-hmm. Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. So this would be sung, love divine, all loves excelling. And then the other famous tune uh, that's Welsh, and I say famous now especially because it was done uh, just yesterday at the Queen's funeral, is a tune called Blen Ren. And it's love divine, all love's excelling joy of heaven to earth, come down as another yeah, sort like of Welsh, Welsh lilt to it. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite tunes, one of my favorite pairings for this text. Um, so I just have some you know musical, poetic reasons why I like it. yeah, uh, I like how it fits. I think the message yeah. of this hymn is a little I don't want to say unusual, but it's really it's, it's a prayer him Mm. and and it's not uh it's a supplication that doesn't so much um ask as almost as much as it simply declares Mm. this is what is going to happen and god this is what you're going to do not in a presumptuous way it's i think it's done in a tone a poetic tone of reverence but it's a declarative Mm -hmm. uh uh hymn and uh What's interesting in terms of the history, and again, this is speculative, but you begin looking at the resource and going, okay, speculation makes sense. Um, famous composer during Wesley's own time was Henry Purcell. Um, is A lot of his music's been forgotten, um, certainly in the church context, um, but uh, wrote a lot of operas at the time. And there's an opera text that some folks feel like Charles Wesley might have been trying to Christianize in the same way that sometimes Christian things were satirized in the opera world. So uh, let me read you what... Purcell and the poet John Dryden wrote for this opera, King Arthur. Okay. I would prefer um, if you sing it, but uh, I I'll take a you reading know, as I don't, well. don't know the music, <laughs> so you have to deal with reading. So this is what uh, John Dryden, Henry Purcell set. Again, and this is their opera, King Arthur. Fairest isle, all isles excelling, seat of pleasures and of loves. Venus here will churse her dwelling and forsake her Cyprian groves. The same meter applies, mm-hmm. and you have this uh-huh. phrase all excelling. Mm-hmm. At the end of this little aria in the opera, you get this line. When all thy mercies, oh my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with the view, I'm lost in wonder, love, and fear. Oh, wow! Does that, that remind yeah. you of anything? <laughs> uh, Till we cast our, you know, John Wesley, uh-huh. be Charles Wesley, then closed. Till we cast our crowns before they lost in wonder, love and praise. Oh, that's really cool. So interesting, sort of um, in the same way that it, oftentimes the musical world would satirize the Christian world. Yeah. Uh, you had this moment where Charles Wesley is almost sort of turning the tables. Yeah, on, that's really cool. On, on the musical world with this hymn text. That's really cool. There, yeah. There's an interesting. Um, history is probably too strong a word but as all is is often the case hymn texts take on a little bit of their life of their own over the course of time denominations fiddle with the language here fiddle with a the preposition <laughs> yeah, there absolutely. and uh, this is a hymn that actually will vary slightly from denomination to denomination really? Really? it is almost never noted in the bottom uh, and actually This is a moment where Methodists have messed with Charles Wesley. Oh, no. Controversy. So, if you look in stanza two, we have in um, uh, the third line, take away our bent to sinning, Mm -hmm. Alpha and Omega B. Charles Wesley originally wrote, and it is actually published in most hymnals, take away our love of sinning. Um, Interesting. Sometimes denominations will tweak our to the so it's take away the love of sinning and again these these are maybe you know nitpicking small little grammatical but details that's they a, they do change the theological uh yeah, grit of absolutely. what's going on do we know who made that shift i i do not know do unfortunately not know. that's interesting <laughs> um, but it's it's not the only hymn i mean this is this is a common thing where where in part to reflect the theological moorings of the moment yeah denominations will make slight changes to hymns sometimes they are noted if they're big big they're big changes yeah. once you're dealing with a public domain text you can kind of do, do, do what you want, you want. <laughs> yeah absolutely just to, uh, just to so. talk about that one change there i
0: mean this is uh this i guess <laughs> i guess what we've done here is try to make this sound like more like john wesley uh, and a little less like maybe what Charles is trying to get at, with what, Ch- a little, Char- little Lutheran, little Calvinist, yeah, maybe.
1: Charles Charles was a little bit more effusive, let's yeah. say, with his theology. Yes, yeah, because <laughs> the, the love and bent towards sinning. That's, that's, I think, that's pretty. That's a big
0: difference. Uh
2: huh. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would like to say that I'm bent towards sinning, but not that I love sinning. But I do. So
1: maybe, <laughs> maybe the love is uh, more correct. Um, wow. Okay. Well, regardless I think the closing line of that stanza which is that faith sets our heart at liberty. Yeah. Uh, re- regardless of its being a being bent or loving, <laughs> we we have the promise and hope of Christ here at the end of the stanza. We still got sanctification to look yes. forward to. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: So you said this is one of your favorite. Why? It is. Is, is there a particular reason?
1: I, I wish I could. I'd say why. I. I. Just I, love I, it. I. I. It's just. It's a tune. The various tunes. It's a text. that's always, mm-hmm. uh, sort of in the forefront of my mind. It's one that I enjoy setting and putting in worship. Um, the, uh, you know, the the way it was included actually yesterday in the Queen's funeral is is yeah. interesting. In, in that, it, it, it's it's oftentimes difficult. Um, to talk about the word diversity in a white Christian context. yeah, um, And, and what, what does that mean? In part, because diversity means so many specific things right now. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But from, again, a, a wider historical lens, by singing at the closing of the British, the English monarch's funeral, a Methodist hymn text Set to a Welsh tune Yeah There's some Intentionality there That is That actually Presents a profound Statement of Diversity Yeah For the huh. Head of the Church of England Wow yeah <laughs> To put At the end A Methodist Yeah uh, Hymn Set to a tune By the Welsh uh, So there's And, and uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth Was involved In the planning Of her service and yeah. Of course she, Right She knew stuff Like that I was yeah, gonna say there, yeah. That's um, not an accident no. Nothing uh, like that And, is and, yeah. and yet and it, it was robustly sung, like yeah. it 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 was it was sung and hung on to by the people.
0: Wow. Um, I, well, I'm curious. You you know more about this than I do. Um, probably more than most people. Uh, when Charles Rosie wrote this, he was Anglican, right? He is part of so. Where do you know this? If if any of his hymns made it their way into an Anglican context in his own
1: lifetime? Oh, in his own lifetime, I don't know. I mean, the likelihood is yes, because oftentimes these hymn collections were just being cranked out. I mean, yeah. we think about today, you know, hymnals sort of having a lifespan. Mm-hmm. Part of that is a, also a uniquely American invention where we have a hymn book mm-hmm. that's got four parts, musical parts written for everybody with all the text and this giant book. It's in our pews. Here you go. Right. That wasn't even common in the United States until the turn of the century. Okay it still is not common in great britain most time if you go to an english church the hymn book will be something that's almost looks like pocket size compared to this yeah because all it contains are words really sometimes there might be a little melody line Uh without any text even but just a little melody line written wow but oftentimes it's just a book of words the organist then plays through whatever hymn tune they've selected to go with that text and they'll play through the whole hymn, and then you sing. Uh, but the notion of the direct pairing of text and tune, certainly four-part harmony, it definitely comes from a Lutheran influence in American churches. Um, so and, it's more like a psalter kind of situation, where you just have the and then yeah. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. S- similar, similar view. Uh, I mean, I've I have worshipped in King's College Chapel, which doesn't get a whole lot more, you know, drippingly Anglican than <laughs> King's College Chapel of Cambridge. And their hymnal is a word book. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow.
2: What does that, what does that say about the expectation? Because my my first thought is like, does that mean that uh, whoever's putting you know ours together it think it thinks it's more likely that the congregation can read music versus in that setting where you're not given music because you can't read? it? But that doesn't seem to really actually make sense. I don't know what it. What is the, what well, is th- the thought process first behind of all, that? I
1: think I think expectations. Change over time. Yeah, I think there's an in that setting. There's an expectation that people probably have some sort of corporate knowledge of the tunes. Okay, <laughs> that's what. Okay, that makes um, more sense. Which also is a bit presumptuous, of course. Uh, at the same time, an expectation that people are going to listen with their ears to be like, okay, that's the melody. Uh, I I can sing that. Uh, so it's
2: more it's more of an active. You said they they play through it, yeah. and you're actively teaching it and learning it in that space before they sing it.
1: The, by presenting a four-part harmony that's also expecting that a congregation could then sing in four-part harmony. There are very few that, right. that yeah. can. I mean. uh, very few of those that can that do. Okay. So okay. Uh, the, the, the practicality of having a congregation have their voices unified in song, unified in melody is perhaps a bit more practical. Uh, the other key word I just use is practical. When the printing press was first around having anything printed was a lavish expense yeah sure so you're gonna make it as small and compact as possible yeah sense. yeah um, and no, that fair. sort of um, careful stewardship never really changed yeah, yeah. Uh, and so okay. there, there was whereas in, of in like, America I have this leather bound hymnal book right right and you can't even read the music <laughs> I have no idea what this yeah, is right. Latin to me uh, uh, I
0: thought hmm. you spoke a little Latin I do actually so <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's not a, maybe that's not it's math to me yeah there that, we oh, go okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, did I, uh, this is uh, neither here nor there, I guess it kind of connects, but I, did I read somewhere once that John Wesley, um, maybe Charles too, but John Wesley had a aversion to harmony
1: in music? Like he didn't. Oh, I don't know. Uh, that, uh, that'd that be fascinating I, that to me. just popped into my head, so uh, maybe. It wouldn't surprise me if you said that of Calvin. Yeah. Um, what was very, Calvin had an interesting perspective on music in the church. Yeah, uh, he, he believed very strictly in psalm singing and in the coll- one of the collections of the Geneva Psalter that he oversaw, uh, it was, of course, all psalms except for a single hymn at the front of the hymnal that he wrote. So, <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, uh, you know, we, we all have, I think, moments and opinions and just yeah. like us today, our church forefathers their minds changed over time (laughs) uh but yeah Uh, yeah. if there wasn't a version to harmony i think where i would even like think about that today is again in the context of what does that mean for the people to be united in song
0: yeah Mm. um
1: part of what makes having soprano alto tenor bass helpful oftentimes is it means people can sing in an area comfortable for their voice Yeah. yeah um when you have a situation where that training is not as active having a melody that all people can sing is then the next best thing that we can offer right so that uh, makes sense yeah one another reason i really love this hymn is it applies to so many facets of not just life, but so many facets of the life of the church. Uh, In our hymnal, it is in the sanctifying and perfecting grace section on rebirth and new creation. Um, And uh, makes sense. There's a lot of that language within this hymn. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I have also heard it sung. And when you begin unpacking this a bit, you go, oh yeah, wow. I've heard this sung as an advent hymn. Mm. Come, really uh, yeah love divine all love excelling joy of heaven to earth come, come down, down. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. fix in us thy humble dwelling all thy faithful mercies. well now crown. it just seems obvious right <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and yet when's i and i'll admit even since i've been at Northside, when's the last time you've sung this at advent you know yeah absolutely <laughs> so, um, yeah. i've not yet planned it as an advent hymn. maybe we will this year yeah uh and then there's also this uh and bill mentioned this there's Finish then thy new creation, yeah, pure and spotless, one, yeah. let us yeah. be. There's an eschatological mm-hmm. view to the future. Yeah. Uh, where where do we end our lives? We end our lives in praise. Mm-hmm. We end our lives in heaven. Um, we go there. And in a similar fashion, I would argue that's also a big part of the message of Advent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I love how this hymn text in and of itself just transcends the church calendar yeah. in ways that not all all hymns do, and that's not the purpose of all hymns. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but this one really does it and does it well.
0: That's excellent. I, yeah, I had never thought about this as an Advent hymn before, but it does. But seem you're right. The second you now. start reading
1: it, yeah. Uh, Come, Almighty, to deliver. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, and th- that I mean, verse three d- does the direct line from the incarnation to the cross in mm-hmm. about two stanzas yeah. or, mm-hmm. or uh-huh. two, two sentences. Excuse me. Uh, kind of like the Apostles' Creed does. You know, uh. born of a virgin Mary, Pontius Pot-
0: there's a lot in between those two events. They just we, skip it, we just kind of they skip just it. skip it. We Ridiculous. Won't, we won't get into creedal mm-hmm. formation. <laughs> um, so when you, when you, I mean, how, how do I ask this question? You are somebody who is not only musically trained, but uh, theologically trained, and when you're drawn to a hymn, whether it's this hymn or other hymns, mm. are you drawn to the music or or the
1: or the the words the theology or is it or can you can't tell the difference anymore is it that's a fair question Uh, i think it depends unfortunately oftentimes how i first hear it and Mm -hmm. first encounter it uh there are times when a tune will really catch my attention yeah and then i may not necessarily care actually for the text that is Mm -hmm. with that tune um there have been times when i've tried to put other tunes and texts together Uh that maybe i think fit um where the tune serves the text in a different way or the text aligns with the tune a little Mm -hmm. bit better than maybe it was originally put put with it um so i enjoy the sort of that exercise and being captured by one or the other uh i would say in the course of my own growth and faith uh texts have certainly started to grab my attention more and more than tunes do uh looking at the grammar looking at the syntax looking at the vocabulary why is a poet choosing to frame things this way you also begin to realize especially with some of these good hymns you know but bill mentioned charles wesley wrote between six and nine thousand hymns insane. Right. And we only have a few there. right hymnal. there's a reason for that you know there's only a few that sort of stood up against the test of time mm. and part of why they've stood up against the test of time is boy do they distill a lot of theology really quickly in Beautiful ways. Yeah. Um, uh, hymns are fundamentally poetry. They they are they're not music. Right. Um, they're 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 it, it. When we sing them, we are bringing two art forms together. Yeah. Um. And you need both of those art forms to be good. <laughs> yeah. You need good text with good music coming together. Um. And thankfully, our hymnal represents about 500 years of that work in yeah. in action. Uh. And. The Wesley hymns are a part of that. I'm sure that you
0: run into this many times where you will try to uh, take a hymn and, and use a different arrangement and a different tune or different different song, different music, uh, and people are like that that's sacrilegious or no that's you have you have tarnished this great hymn.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's it's interesting. Even this past Sunday, uh, so the we sang "Love Divine" out of the hymnal. And then one of those Welsh tunes I mentioned, I had the choir sing as the introit and as the choral mm-hmm. uh, benediction at the end of the service, just as another version. And then Joshua, as his postlude played the third version of the tune. So we, we tried to sort of, you know, pepper this uh-huh. this different musical offering in the midst of things. Uh, but I remember the first time uh, I even just had the choir, this is, you know, a year or so ago, we sang an, an alternate version mm-hmm. of Love Divine, and somebody was like, I... I I never heard that I don't I don't that's not how love divine goes (laughs) and part of the real answer is well love divine for its first 130 years didn't go how we sing it either (laughs) right right? Right. Uh, so these these things change um and and, you know there are sometimes when those fit really well those changes and sometimes where where they they don't don't. I mean the, the reality is hymn tunes and hymn texts you know are, there has to be a, a marriage between those two things. Yeah. Um, it is possible to sing joy to the world and amazing grace to one another in terms of how the metrical uh, settings work out. Mm-hmm. But it would make no emotional sense to go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I mean, that takes away the solemnity yeah. of right. that text. What that's about, yeah. Nor would it make any emotional sense to sing joy to the world the lord has come yeah uh, it, it 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 doesn't make any emotional yeah. connection to the text itself so uh,
0: that's an interest you bring that up that's interesting because i'm wondering if music plays such a huge role in a memory formation and yeah. and, and yeah. spiritual formation in ways that we don't even realize it gets into our hearts in ways that bypass the brain a lot of times and I'm wondering if there are, Amazing Grace is, I think, probably a good example at George of George the World, maybe two, where those two, the tune and the words are so melded together now yeah, that sure. they couldn't be separated. Yeah. Um, I, well, that—that that,
2: that is one thing that I think is really cool about how what y'all have been doing in these services is singing it two different tunes, because... I don't know. Sometimes, you know, like you're talking about, it gets so melded in your head, and you just sing it, and then all of a sudden you hear it. And for me, I grew up singing one tune to this, but when I hear okay. you guys sing it so another way, I pay attention to the
1: words more, because sure. it catches yeah, you, and,
2: yeah. and you, so suddenly you're listening in a different well, way, not, which not I think is
1: really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Not to give away anything you'll talk about next week with with Tiffany, but this coming Sunday, Soldiers of Christ <laughs> arise, <laughs> and. Uh, we sing that in our hymnal to the tune of crown him with many crowns. Mm -hmm. And so inevitably, while we will be singing that text and as a tune, people will know and can sing easily. They'll have crown him with many crowns in the back of their mind. Um, And, and it's an interesting, you know, juxtaposition of those two things together. That's fascinating. That Um, is cool. I want to learn more about this. Uh, (laughs) Time to go back to school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, uh, hymn tunes, hymn texts. I I think, you know, you mentioned, part of our memory formation, even more specifically to us, our spiritual formation, yeah. music, the the act of doing music, so no, I'm not talking about the act of listening, I'm not talking about the act of looking at music, uh, not even the act of writing music, but the act of doing music, singing, playing Performing, an instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Performing in some capacity is one of, if not the only uh, activities that neuroscientists have identified as a global process of the brain. Yeah everything from oh. breathing to writing to thinking in different capacities is clearly a left or right brain activity except for performing music, music yeah. which activates oh, wow. the entirety of the of the mind yeah. so the command from scripture to sing and make song which is uh, the most repeated command in all the bible by the way and it's and ah. it's one that we can just sort of be like okay God said it, we should do it. And, and yes, yeah, that, and that's there's a no controversy. That, that's, there, a right? great, yeah. that's a great reason uh, that that's a great reason. But then if we begin to, especially with all the scientific tools that we have yeah. today to be like, why is that a good command from God? Like, why is that good for us? Yeah. Part of our spiritual formation as musicians, because if you are a Christian, you are a musician. Yeah. If you don't think you can sing well, guess what? You are a musician. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, Part of that is the activity of the global process of the mind. It develops the whole mind. Yeah, um, that's de- really it good. It develops
0: the whole spirit. Yeah. I read that somewhere where I music like therapy, that. that's why music therapy and in, in, in coming back from like strokes and stuff is yeah. so important because Absolutely. of that global processes. Yeah, I like that. Also, that's the quote of the day. If you're a Christian, you're a musician. I like that a lot. That's a good mantra to take with you. Every voice of a believer sounds like an angel in the ears Aww. of God, right? I like that. Or That's it good, will someday. Yeah. Or someday. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it's all yes. music training. Well, Michael, thank you so much Very for welcome. joining us today. This was a fantastic conversation. Uh, any final thoughts before we go? Thank you. Always love being here. All right. Well, we we'll look forward to hearing what's coming uh, this Sunday in worship. And uh, thank you again, Michael. You're welcome. Thank you.